We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the tree, excuse me, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now remember, Adam and Eve are already like God. They're superhumans. This really is Superman and Wonder Woman. I was thinking about this. Any human being that you could be inspired by or look up to, let's, let's take really smart people. Let's take Einstein. Now let's take the greatest athlete. Let's take maybe LeBron James or Jim Thorpe or anyone like that. Just great athletes of any time. The greatest athletes of all time. Let's go with male gender first. The greatest leaders. Let's take John Kennedy. What a speaker John Kennedy was. That's not what you can do for your country. Ask what he can do for you, but ask what he can do for your country, right? I mean, John Kennedy. I mean, he stared down the Russians during the zenith of communism. So let's take the political salvi of John Kennedy, the athleticism of LeBron James in his prime. Let's take the brains of Albert Einstein. Put them into one person, and you say, wow, he's the smartest person, the best athlete. Now let's add Beethoven or Mozart. Tchaikovsky. Let's add someone with a really good voice. Well, let's just have fun with it. Paul McCartney. Right? The Beatles. We got a bunch of baby boomers here. Or Bono from YouTube, right? For all you Gen Xers. Okay, so let's put them together into one person. That's still not Adam. Whoever put that Jeep on Mars, that's still not Adam. Whoever got Apollo 13 back from the dark side of the moon, that's still not Adam. Whoever put that lunar module on the moon, that's still not Adam. Beethoven, Mozart, the creativity, the Sistine Chapel, that's still not Adam. Monet, that's not Adam. All of it, all the greatness that you see of man in all of its power, little Napoleon, all the power of men and their glory, it's still not Adam in Genesis 2. Women, how about power woman? Let's go for Oprah. I mean, how many women can have a magazine in it to themselves and print it every month? Oprah. Worth more money than we even could know. Political power. Let's go for Hillary Clinton. Very powerful. Extremely powerful politician. Margaret Thatcher, for those of you that are more conservative. Margaret Thatcher. Let's go for great voices, great dancers, women of courage. Think of all the women of courage. Mary, let it be unto me as the Lord has spoken. That's still not Eve, Wonder Woman. All the greatness of all the women you could think of put together in one woman. It is still not woman. This is Wonder Woman. No sin. Supercomputer in her mind. She could do what Adam can do, could do, and vice versa. And when they looked each other naked and unashamed, there was no guilt, there was only glory. And the first emotion Adam felt was loneliness because he was made aware of his loneliness when he named the animals 
The Lord put him into sleep. When he woke up, probably the next emotion he felt was love and fulfillment as he looked at his perfect mate that God made him of his kind. But now in this chapter, the emotion we're moving toward is very different than loneliness or love in its fullest capacities. Because here in the garden, Satan is introduced to us. We have the superhumans and we have superhuman Eve, the perfect woman, daughter of God. And remember, in the genealogy of Jesus and Luke, we're told that Adam is the son of God. The title is attributed, it's interesting the title sons of God is attributed to you and us in Romans chapter 8 to the church. We're called the sons of God in Romans chapter 8 as joint heirs of the estate with the Lord for all eternity. Satan is called the son of God as he appears before the Lord in the book of Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. The title sons of God is attributed to angels, men, and himself, Jesus Christ, the true son of God, in whom the church is joint heirs with. So here comes Satan to the daughter of God made in the image of God, who's perfect, sinless in every capacity. She is the most beautiful woman that ever was because she's the perfect woman made in the image of God without sin. She was the perfect wife on this day, up to this day, on the same timeline that we're in as that clock's ticking on the wall. She's same timeline. We, you women, are from her, and us men are from her, and us men are from Adam, and you women are from Adam. For, of course, in the single cell you were in your mother's womb is everything you would be, your gender, your personality, your DNA, and the ability to reproduce other human beings from within you. It's all there. And that's not intelligent design. That's divine design from the living God, Jesus Christ, by whom and for whom are all things. And so here in the garden, it's all going good. And what their eyes desired most was the fruit trees. We're told that the trees brought them pleasure in chapter 2. That when they looked upon the trees, they were pleasant to behold. That's beautiful. So the same drive we might have for lust for money or wealth or possessions or the opposite sex or the same sex or all the lust that men and women come up with in a fallen nature, that driving force, that... uh, endorphins of the mind might move toward with a perfect sinless body here's Eve in the garden and her drive is for the desire of the plants that are in the garden and her husband and they were considered married which you'll see in this chapter and there in that perfect environment comes the serpent who's the most cunning of all beasts now the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a choice and Self-determination is a choice, and love always has a choice. So there has to be a choice. There has to be an alternative to obedience, and that is disobedience. And we see throughout the Bible, time and time again, those choices presented to us. The Lord would say, I said before you, blessings and curses, life and death. So there has to be a choice. As parents, we often tell our kids, well, it's your decision. You're going to live with it, right? We understand self-determination for individuals, for families, for marriages, for families, for nations. Choices. Choices are made, and we live with those choices. And we have to have choice. God didn't make Adam and Eve as artificial intelligence. They are not robots in the garden. They are as human as you and I, but without sin. Now, Satan comes in this picture, and 
There he is. Who is the serpent? It's Satan. The Bible interprets the Bible. We're told he's that serpent of old. He's the dragon. He's the devil, Lucifer. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. There are many titles for Satan. Just like there's many really good titles for Jesus, there are many bad titles for Satan. What we know harmonizing scripture is from the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Luke, and other books that in the other dimension outside of time, space, and matter, because, of course, the universe is multidimensional. We only function in three. From that dimension of eternity, when God spoke this universe of time, space, and matter into existence, there was already another dimension that he's functioning in. And from that dimension, there is Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect in their triune nature together. We saw that. We covered that in Genesis chapter 1. And there are the angels. And as the scripture indicates things for us from the Old Testament prophets plus New Testament, Satan was cast out of heaven. He was perfect. He had special access to special things in heaven. And he was lifted up. And he, the pinnacle of his being lifted up because he was the son of God, created in many ways in the image of God, but an angel, not a human being. And in the zenith of his free will and self-determination, he determined that he could be God that he could go one step more and be God, and I will become his God. And for that reason, he was cast out of heaven from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, I saw Satan cast out of heaven. That happened before this dimension that we live in of time, space, and matter. It happened outside of this dimension. And so here is Satan on the earth as a, as a serpent, appearing as a serpent, and he's a talking serpent. It is somewhat sad to consider that the first conversation, words that we get from Eve, we're told are words in speaking with the devil himself. That is unfortunate, ladies, and I'm sorry to bring that news to you if you haven't thought it through. The first words conversed by a woman, recorded for us in the Bible, are recorded by Wonder Woman herself speaking to Satan. And in that conversation with Satan, she is being deceived, for which the Bible holds her accountable for all the way through the New Testament, She's being deceived by the great deceiver. She's not the first one, nor is it hardly limited to the female gender of being deceived by the devil. But she's being deceived. In quoting God's instructions, she is adding to the instruction, you shall not touch. He didn't say you wouldn't touch. So she's misquoting God's one instruction to them where they could show their obedience to him. And the temptation coming from the tempter is regarding not any other tree by which the natural desires were there for, the endorphins, if you will, driving the perfect human being, the perfect woman, Eve. But it's the temptation for that which was the one thing she could not have to prove her obedience, to trust that the Lord had a reason for why she couldn't have that, a yes or a no, a chance to obey. She's not artificial intelligence. She's made in the image of God. Satan's temptation was to be as God. He said he'd be God. And the temptation he gives Eve is to be as God. He tempted her with the very same temptation that he fell for. And sin is deceitful. And I think it's very probable to believe that Satan still thinks somehow he's going to win the universal battle of the ages that all heads down to Armageddon and the end of the age as we know it. When he reads, and he's very much aware of what is prophesied through John's, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, when he reads that Satan is cast into the lake of fire, 
eventually, and he's bound for a thousand years, I would imagine he is self-deceived to the point as one of the most powerful beings ever made in any dimension, certainly more powerful than all of us. Remember, Michael the Archangel, who's comparative in angelic power to Satan, did not bring a reviling accusation against the devil when he fought for the body of Moses. Satan is incredibly powerful, and he's incredibly crafty. And probably this day, in this dimension, as we understand it, he is convinced that he will be his God, and he will somehow thwart the plans that we believe, that we read that God has revealed for the future in our Bible, in 2 Thessalonians, the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, and other places. Sin is deceitful. You can talk to a sane person about sin, and they become irrational. Sin deceives us. It has a very deceptive nature in its temptation and its application. And sin has a passing pleasure, but eventually it turns to the full deception. We're in bondage to it. The book of James talks about that. It's conceived, and it birthed, and it brings forth death. And it is very deceptive, even for a powerful being of another dimension like Satan. His fall, he tempts Eve, superwoman, with the same temptation. You're so close to being God. You are so close to being God. You are like God. Everything great that humanity will ever do of either gender is going to come through your offspring. Pyramids, the temple, all of it. All of it. The internet. You have it all in you. You are so close to being God. Why, you're like God. You're in his image. He, he gave you dominion over the animals. You, you can see them all at one time and like in a millisecond call them all names. You are as a God. And the only thing missing is this tree. You're missing the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what separates you from being God. And God knows if you eat from this tree, you will be as God. You will be God. And there's something in humanity that wants just a little more. A little more money. A little more comfort. A little more of this. A little more lust. A little more power. A little more sensual satisfaction. There's something in us. And that temptation Remember, it's just one thing. The rich young ruler, when he walked away from Jesus, you lack one thing. It's just one thing. And the devil only needs one thing to keep us from the Lord. And the one thing was that tree of knowledge, good and evil. That was the one thing that could keep Eve from perfection and offspring of perfection. If you really want something to meditate, think about this. What if there hadn't been the original sin? And what if they had reproduced superhumans without sin? See, because when we get to heaven and we're in glorified bodies, like the angels, Jesus said, they are neither given in marriage. And there's no reason to believe there's reproduction in heaven, but it's more the reward of everything that took place in time, space, and matter in this dimension. Maybe there is, but Jesus certainly seems to indicate that they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So that means what heaven is in the eternal state where the tree of life is restored, it is still something different than what this could have been in self-determination. It's something to think about. Eve was deceived. She was 
She, super Wonder Woman herself was in a battle for the ages with the fallen serpent, that angel who was called perfection, Lucifer. But now with all that evil as a father of lies, he comes in the most cunning, crafty way to deceive the mother of our race. And he succeeds with just that one thing. There's a lot to be learned from that. And he accuses God. His introduction in time, space, matter is a lie. You will not die. That is not true. And can you imagine what Eve saw, what she thought when she looked at the dead body of Abel, her son that loved the Lord, who brought the blood and the sacrifice to the Lord in faith, what she learned, what he learned from his parents. She would find out what death was like. This side of Wonder Woman, no concept of death. And the real wage of her sin would be known in a couple of decades when Abel's dead body would cry and his blood would cry from the ground before God himself. One can only imagine what Eve felt at that time, the anguish. Not only that her son was dead, but her other son took his life. Sin is death. It never has a good ending. So verse 5, excuse me, verse 6 we read on. The temptation, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And she would, but she wouldn't be like God. So when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the tree of the tree. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. So here is the introduction of sin. At this very day, at this very moment, a shock wave went out over the entire animal kingdom, changing their nature and their makeup. Animals that were herbivores are going to become carnivores. A universe with like a perfect watch, expanding and maintaining energy as it's expanding, now breaks and it clicks. And now the universe begins to die. Our sun began to die the moment the sin happened. I promise you and affirm from scripture, the moment Adam ate from that fruit, the sun began to die and lose its energy. That's when entropy entered the universe. And that death sentence, the Bible tells us, it went right through the animal kingdom like a dark plague, like supernaturally in a matter of seconds, like a sound wave. And suddenly animals that coexisted together and were herbivores, the dinosaurs, the mammals, the, the super mammals, all of them, the saber-toothed tigers, the, the woolly mammoths, all of them, all of them, they all were herbivores. And the moment Adam ate from that fruit, like a shock wave, like a sonic boom in the high desert in the 50s, it went out and the carnivores began and the sun began to deteriorate and the farthest reaches of the universe wherever it goes began to die in its extension and death entered and we are told that through one man sin 
death entered the race, thus all sin and all die. Death entered the universe, and the entire universe is dying from this very act in this very text we just read. The sun is not getting stronger, it's getting weaker. And where there might be new stars being birthed in the universe, it's still a decreasing energy over all of the energy within the universe. And all creation groans for the redemption of the prized possession humanity, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ tonight, to be glorified with Christ and the new heaven and the new earth to be established once and for all in the kingdom age. And that is our hope tonight. But this is why Christ had to come die on the cross, which we'll get to in a moment. That death sentence went out through everything. No more healthy babies all the time. Now you got the abnormal babies. Conjoined twins. Birth defects. There wasn't a bad virus in any cell anywhere in the universe before Adam sinned. And now when you see the microscopic pictures of viruses like AIDS and swine flu and these things, they, they're ugly looking. You ever notice that? You ever look at viruses? They don't look like healthy cells. They're ugly. They're mutations. That's when it began. This day. In my day planner that I have in the office, there's only 365 days, and there's 12 months in our current calendar as we understand it. Somewhere on one of those days in our timeline was this day that this happened, and it changed our universe, and it changed our destiny. But remember, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So now the emotion, Adam has experienced loneliness to have the sense of knowing his need for his wife. He experienced the emotion of love, having his wife. Well, now he certainly knows the emotion of guilt, doesn't he? Because he's naked and he knows it. Oh, guilt's a powerful force, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, guilt is a very powerful emotion. Shame is a powerful emotion, too. Shame and guilt with one another. A perfect relationship gone bad between them and God and each other. It was a perfect relationship. They're like naked and unashamed with each other. Can you imagine such glory without sin? But when the sin came, not only is there a sense of shame before the Lord vertically, there's a sense of shame with each other. And with their super minds, they have no problem grabbing fig leaves and sewing and immediately creating a covering for them. And it's interesting because the gardener and his wife took from the garden to provide coverings. And it's interesting their son Cain, when he offered to the Lord, he offered from the garden, from the land. But the fig leaves from the garden, the trees were for eating, but not for atonement. Atonement must come with blood. The just for the unjust. Someone innocent has to die for someone guilty. There's going to be blood in the garden before this chapter's done. Shame, guilt, that's what sin brings. The more you know of evil, the more shame and guilt you should feel unless you become have a seared conscience like Romans chapter 1, which God forbid any of us would have. And they hid from the Lord. That's what sin does too. It causes us to hide from the Lord. They they hid from the Lord in the garden. Gosh, all that joy, all that perfection, 
all of it, the supercomputer, all of it, and they're hiding from the Lord. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Those trees that were so desirable, now they're hiding within those trees. Verse 8. And the Lord calls out to them, and isn't that grace? The Lord calls to Adam, called to Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? Now, Adam had spoken earlier about his wife. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And now God's speaking to Adam, and what does he say? Where are you? Eve had the conversation with the serpent. She convinced her husband to eat of the tree, the forbidden fruit. And God says, where are you? That's what he says to all humanity, by the way. Where are you hiding behind your philosophies, your world religions, your pride, your arrogance, and all these things? Where are you hiding behind your blasphemies where you blame me for your carnality and say I made you that way? Where are you? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at heaven. God comes to us. God so loved the world he gave his son, and Jesus came, and he's entrusted that message of restoration and repentance and faith to his church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. They will preach the gospel to every creature. Humanity's hiding like Adam in the garden behind fig leaves. And it is the great commission of the church to represent the Father truly to go out and say, where are you? Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come. The Spirit says, come. That's the message of the church, the invitation, crying out to sinful humanity, hiding, saying, we are afraid and we hide. Verse 10, but the gospel of grace delivers us from that fear and there's no need to hide when we come to Christ. We come in humility, we come in repentance, and we are restored. Verse 11, God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man had said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the tree and I ate. So, first conversation we read about a man speaking of his wife to God, he's blaming God. The woman you gave me, and that's what sin does. Sin is a blame game. You know, being in ministry, being a pastor, and anyone that's really been a pastor knows this, when you get counseling going or whatever, especially at a large church like Calvary Coast and Mason, churches like that, where there's a lot of people. People want to come in, it's a blame game, and they, you know, especially married couples, they want to come in, and they want to meet the pastor, and they're, they're, you're an arbitrator, and it's a blame game, and so it's like, she did this, and he did that, and if you hadn't, have, and, and it's just, it, became, it can be so fruitless when it's a blame game. It, it's, it's good when it's a repentance game, but the blame game, there is no end of it. The woman you gave me, blaming God. How many people do you know, do we know, who blame God for their sin in their life? The blame game, blaming God. Don't blame God for your sin. God makes no one sin. We have tests, but they're designed to give us a chance to prove our faithfulness and our love for him. Not, not a blame game. We fail a test, we fail a test. Let no man say he sins because of the Lord and say that God is the tempter. He's not the tempter. Satan's the tempter, and every temptation is an opportunity to show our faith and obedience. The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee doesn't say submit to the devil and blame God. It's the blame game. Of excuses for sin, there is no shortage. You know, it was years ago when my wife said to me, just say you're sorry and stop there. Because I always had an excuse, I'm sorry, but. And the last major thing I got into with some people a few weeks ago 
I've learned to say, like, I'm sorry. And I could say it was this and it was that. I, I could give you five bullet points for any sorry I got. I don't even need to think of them. They're already there. And you're probably the same. I'm sorry, but, you know, the sun rose in the east today. I'm sorry, but I live in Orange County. Everyone's in a hurry. I'm sorry, but I'm having a hard time paying my bills. I'm sorry, but, you know, like the dog went to the bathroom in the garage. I'm sorry. Like, you can just, I mean, it's, so, so that, it, like, right. Excuses, excuses. I'm sorry is good enough for the Lord. And it goes a long way to say you're sorry and not make excuses. I'm sorry. Well, it's like, you didn't say I'm sorry. Well, the woman you gave me, like somehow it's God's fault. We don't ever want to make those mistakes. If we're going to be restored to the Lord from our failures, we need to just admit. We need to be like David in Psalm 51. Against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned and accept responsibility for it, repent, and find the grace, and let him put a new song in our heart to go forward. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And praise the Lord for that. And as bad as today might be, you can wake up tomorrow with new mercies. And sometimes I can't wait for the dawn of a new day with new mercies because they're new every morning. And we don't ever have to doubt the character of God, the promises of God, and the love of God to know that his mercies are new every morning for us in our failures as we repent and cry out to the Lord. No blame game. So because of the sin, it says, um, so he said, the woman you gave me, verse 12, she gave me the, the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you've done? So now we get the consequences three in a row. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she says she's deceived. And you know, to her credit, she was. She was deceived. So the Lord God said to the serpent, he goes to the serpent, Satan, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the first consequence, God pronounces a consequence on Satan for stumbling his crown jewel, the Lord's crown jewel, the human race. And the snake is, in fact, a reminder to us of Lucifer, Satan, the day star, which is his name as well. Satan's name was day star. That sounds like a pretty name, doesn't it? Day star sounds like a nice name. That was his name in heaven before he fell. After he fell, he's called the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. Notice the wording, because you've done this. So Satan's held accountable by God for stumbling humanity and tripping up Eve and deceiving her. Then the first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, between your seed, that would not just be, that's not the animals. We're talking about the demonic realm and her seed. There's a battle of the ages, the spiritual battle between the fallen angels against the kingdom of God and the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of who we are. The kingdom of fallen angels is an organized kingdom, principalities and powers. We read a lot about that, particularly clarified quite clearly in Ephesians 6, but it's also in other places. And her seed, capital S, is Jesus, the offspring. Jesus is also the seed, capital S, of Abraham, referred to us in Galatians chapter 3 as the seed by which all nations would be blessed from his offspring, promised to us later on in the book of Genesis with the Abrahamic covenant. The seed is the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All the genealogies of the Bible take us from Adam and Eve to Jesus, 
to preserve the lineage of the seed that would redeem us through Abraham, from this, you know, through Noah to Abraham, through the tribe of Judah, through Mary the Virgin. It's all there for us. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the seed. This is the first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ and what he would accomplish on the cross. For he indeed would be bruised in his heel. He would be crucified on the cross, but he would bruise the head of Satan, a mortal wound, because when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, he completely, absolutely defeated the devil once and for all. And that's made very clear in the New Testament as well. We're just waiting for the completion, the redemption of the purchased possession and these things to unfold. But we never have to submit to the devil. We never have to submit to the devil. For if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And we have victory in Jesus. It doesn't mean he's not out there to get us. Not that The devil's not out there to get us because he is out there to get us. And we're to put on the whole armor of God. And we're to pray, deliver us from temptation. And we're to fight the good fight, like Paul said. And it's a spiritual battle. And it is what it is. And there's no way around it. Now, it is worth noting, although Satan's demise and death destruction is cast into the lake of fire as all begins here in our realm as we understand it, time, space, and matter. It is interesting to note that when Adam and Eve did choose to submit to him, they forfeited their dominion over the planet to him. And that is why in the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, the Holy Spirit, refer to him as the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the wicked one who controls the whole world, the one who's taken the world captive to do his will, we understand the Bible absolutely clearly makes clear that when Adam and Eve sinned, they forfeited that dominion given to him in chapter 1 over this planet to the devil. And we know, though the Lord raises up and brings down, that he's, in a sense, running a chessboard against the devil because we know he's the force behind kingdoms. The prophecies about Lucifer, Satan, come forth from talking about the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon. And it makes clear that he's the moving forces behind evil empires. He's the evil force behind every evil kingdom that's ever existed on this planet. And when he said to Jesus, bow down to me and I'll give you all these kingdoms, Jesus didn't say, no, you, you don't have that authority. Jesus didn't dispute with Satan that he had the authority over the kingdoms of the world. They're mine to give, he said. And Jesus did not dispute that in his temptation. But they're passing. This kingdom's passing in all of its lust. To the woman, he said in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, she has the least said to her, but it is pretty abrupt, isn't it? Sorrow in conception, pain in childbearing, and a desire for your husband and he is over you. So what the ladies get is a position beside, well, just for the record, of course in the church that we're told there's neither male nor female in Jesus Christ, but we're one and the same. And even before wives are told to submit to their husbands, we're told to submit to one another. But there is an order, and it's made clear that the father's ahead of Christ, Christ is ahead of man, man is ahead of woman. And when your husband frustrates you and acts like the boss, I'm sorry. I truly am. Because sons of Adam always think they're right when they're the boss. And they're usually wrong. And if that's not the curse of sin on women, I don't know what is. Because when I'm really worked up and I just think like, I am the king of this house, that's, I know really that I'm wrong. But I'm 
off and running like a son of Adam. I can't help myself. I'm a tyrant. I'm authoritarian in this, this house, you know. This 1,100 square feet is mine to rule, you know. And it's like someone helped this poor son of Adam. And praise the Lord, I have a gracious wife and a merciful wife. But if she ever just said, man, Eve, whew, Wonder Woman, way to go. <laughs> you know, I'd say, like, I feel you. And, uh, but you know what you don't see here with the woman? He doesn't say you have done this. He said to Eve, because you have done this. Excuse me. He said to, he said to Satan, because you've done this. And he's going to say in the next verse to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. He doesn't give the woman a because of. She truly was deceived. He does not give her the same accountability in this mishap that he gives Satan and Adam, which I find very very interesting. Ladies, it's worth noting. And husbands, it's worth noting too. So we read on to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, curses the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles which will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Man, so much for Superman. That's a fall right there. That is a fall. In the primeval world, the sons of Adam would live centuries. The environment was stronger. Everything was better. The topography of, our, of the planet, everything was better. The oxygen, everything was better. And they were still superhuman in many ways when they were cast out of the garden, but it was the beginning of the end, and it was a deterioration. It was a retraction from glory, a degeneration from glory. And only because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the church is there a hope of, that, that stops that. The cross and the resurrection stops that degeneration, and through faith in Jesus, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It, it, that he comes into us and we're made alive, that the inward man, the inward woman are being renewed daily. We're a new creation. It's truly Jesus Christ in the gospel that stops this degeneration on Adam and Eve, this universe. We have this hope and anchor to the soul, this treasure in earthen vessels. And so though the outward man, the outward woman, the descendants of Adam and Eve, Superman and Wonder Woman, though we're perishing, our inward woman, our inward man is being renewed daily through our faith in Jesus Christ. And we say, amen. We say yes and amen. That's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the church. Of course we're singing before service. Of course we have songs of joy and melody in our heart as spirit-filled men and women, Ephesians 5, because we're going to heaven and we're being transformed from glory to glory. And this is not the end for us. This is what we're born into in our first birth at the point of conception, but we've been born again into a glorious kingdom that's coming. And our future is greater than that which was lost in the garden. Life is hard, and the ground is cursed, and we do return to the dust. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's like the living water on us, and he puts us on the wheel. He's the potter, we're the clay, and we say, Lord, do what you do, make what you make. And we are his works of art, Ephesians chapter 2.10. We are his work of art, each one of us individually. And, you know, God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we could think or ask in this church for his glory for the ages to come. And he's doing it in you and I through faith in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not our end. Unfortunately, this is the end of the people who are not regenerated or saved on this planet. But this is not our end. And we're alive. 
and we have spiritual life, we have eternal life, and we have this life that was not just lost, but is even restored greater in our future. Because again, we get descriptions of this that we can read and understand, but the hope of heaven is beyond our cognitive capacities to understand and receive it by faith. But it's going to be better than what was lost. For that of that, I am absolutely sure based upon the scriptures, not the least of which is that Paul could not utter one word of the glory of the third heaven or he would take away its glory. So even as we have descriptions of in Revelation of the cube city, the heavenly city, and the new heaven, the new earth, even though we have descriptions, we're like, oh, like there's no sun, the presence of the Lord is the light, like, and the tree of life, and there's leaves for the seasons. The like, uh, even what's revealed to us, you're like, I kind of don't get it. Like It's hard to picture. It's hard to wrap your mind around it. But really, the ultimate glory, there's not one word you can say without degenerating in our concept of understanding in time, space, and matter. What is that glory we're going to? So yeah, we have sweat and toil, but praise the Lord that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose through faith in Jesus Christ and being conformed to express image that will be ready for a better day, which leaves us with the last part of the chapter. Verse 20. Yeah, we might return to the dust, but we're going to be raised up when the trump of the Lord sounds the dead in Christ will rise first. We're going to be raised up to glory. We're going to glory. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. So you see, all humanity comes through Eve. She's the mother of all living. Romans chapter 5 makes that clear. Everyone came through Adam. And where sin abounded of Adam, the grace of Jesus Christ, the second Adam abounds all the more. We are the sons of God, Romans 8 tells us, through faith in Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how in our earthly body we bear the image of the first Adam who is of the dust, but the inward woman, the inward man, bears the heavenly body that will be raised up, that will bear the glorious body of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. How, oh, how glorious is the kingdom to come. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So now blood is shed in the garden. Death has come and blood is shed. I personally believe that a lamb was shed. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God before the foundation of the world, slain before the foundation of the world. And the first offering in the next chapter is the Lamb of the flock from Abel's flock. And I believe that Abel learned that from his parents, that it was the blood of a lamb that provided atonement for his parents before they were removed from God's presence in the garden. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm just sharing what I believe would make sense. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he came as the ultimate sacrifice. These are types but he, this is a type of Jesus, but he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not the blood of bulls and goats or fallen humanity, but the blood of God himself redeemed us on the cross. The Lamb of God. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. See, we can't live forever again until we're in heaven in our glorified bodies. That's why we get restored to the tree of life then, but not now, not in this fallen state. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to, to the ground from which he was taken. Man, it's a, it's a hard, long fall. People say it's hard to fall from number one to number two. How about falling from the garden of Eden to the dust? It's a tough fall. So he drove him out, verse 24. He drove out the man. He placed cherubim, angels, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned away every way and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's the way it ended. 
a glory lost, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we have a greater glory to come.